Plans are worthless, but planning is everything. General and President Dwight Eisenhower's wisdom still rings true today. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents STRAT, Strategic Risk Assessment Talk. A forum with a preparedness mindset. Mitigating risks, creating systems of prevention and recovery to deal with potential threats. And understanding the objectives of a business continuity plan. This is the podcast for leaders who are committed to being prepared. Now, here are your hosts, retired Marine Intelligence Officer and globally recognized risk expert, Hal Kempfer, and investment banking executive, Mark Mansfield. Well, Mark, we got a, a heck of a show to talk about now with renewables. We're going to talk about some of the myths. We're going to talk about some of the money that's been going that direction, talk about some of the hope. You know, it's interesting with renewables uh, from a, a, a uh, continuity of business, continuity of operations perspective, uh, emergency preparedness perspective. Years back, I was kind of excited about the potential of, of, of batteries, particularly the Tesla home battery, uh, because if you had a solar system on your home and you had the battery, you actually had a way of, of having energy to keep things going in the case of an earthquake or a big disaster, the grid goes out, stuff like that. That really got me intrigued way back when. Now, uh, a lot of people I know have home generators and stuff like that, but that was, that was always had me intrigued. But of course, the, back then the issue was that the battery was fine, but the whole thing plugged into the grid system anyway. So if the grid went out, it wasn't quite sure if you even had the backup, and that was an issue uh, way back when. Sure, sure. It goes to the weakest link theory, right? So obviously, uh, you know, here we are. So you know, we've got. By, by the way, Mark, when you say weakest link, why do you look at me so closely <laughs> when you say that? I want to know what's going on there. So it's a term of endearment. Um, <laughs> hey, in any event, we, we're right now. We've got a lot to cover, and uh, basically, that we know now, it's not a question of if; it's really a question of of how and how quickly and, and what. And then obviously we wanna make sure that we're clear here. We, we have our consistent theme about renewed regionalism and, and that's frankly gonna be play into the renewable exercise going forward. And also the reality that frankly, there's not a sudden pivot. It's not binary that we're switching over right away. There's going to be three legs on the stool. We're, we're, we're going to maintain fossil fuel, we're going to maintain nuclear energy, and we're going to feather in and rationally, we hope, introduce the renewable sources uh, for, for a systematic ecosystem. Well, you know, the interesting thing with renewable, and, and I've kind of watched this for many years, and of course you worked, you and I worked uh, hard on that lithium uh, sourcing issue a few years ago. Uh, with renewables, there's so much promise, but there is also a certain amount of peril that goes with this. And there's been a little bit of a, I don't want to say maybe some knee jerking, if you will, politically in the system. You know, Germany knee jerked when Fukushima uh, essentially for all intents and purposes melted down uh, from the earthquake, from the, uh, uh, from the tsunami. Uh, that, that took place. You know, originally you had, Europe was like, oh, we got to get rid of nuclear energy. Well, as we all saw with the war in Ukraine and the over-dependence on, on natural gas and everything that they had developed with Russia, that was a, a rather perilous, risky situation there that they had taken, that they had taken on. And, and, and so I find with this, and when we talk about this, we'll talk about some of the, the myths, if you will, and where some of the money was chasing some hope, if you will, that, that wasn't probably the most rationally thought out 
strategy in going into this uh, into this whole new energy reality that we're entering into. Right, and so so that's a great template because what you know as we keep pointing out what we're like to think we're experts in in any event is is the rationalization of of, of a, an approach so that you're not overly dependent on one area or just you know swapping out one dependency for another dependency. So, for example, consider this. The International Energy Agency projects that with the current goals we have, we have to increase, to your point about lithium, we're going to have a 42x increase in sourcing it over the next two decades. It's just not, it's not realistic, and there are unintended consequences, which, uh, which we are going to uh, discuss a little bit later in this podcast. Really what it's coming down to, and I'm going to give this back to you in a second, is you know, with the three-legged stool, which we've touched on already, is you know, we have to have demand flexibility, so meaning emergency load restrictions. And actually, California, we do get some things right, um, are, are, is, is starting to manage that reasonably well in terms of uh, consumers and industries managing their loads. The, the other is um, we're getting better with uh, uh, supportive technologies, even everything from weather forecasting. It's helping us manage and optimize how we source wind, how we, how we op- optimize uh, solar. And then there's going to be a series of knock-on effects that we'll talk about in a bit. Well, it's interesting you say solar. You know, I've, 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 as you know, as an intelligence officer, um, I would have with my section, I'd have a, a meteorologist or a couple of meteorologists with me. And so weather was always something I'd look at very closely. And when I looked at renewable, I looked at wind, I looked at solar. I was always focused on that, and and way way back when, um, I actually lived in Denmark uh, for a while, and uh, it was always fascinating to me that Denmark and Germany were talking about we're going to go solar, we're going to go solar. It's like, have you talked to a meteorologist about that? Do you really pay attention to what your weather's like, particularly in the winter time? And, uh, and so they were rushing into renewable stuff, and I'm like, that's not what I would call a rational planning process. That's a uh, that's a politically driven process, and I think some of it was obviously at the time, if you go back 10 years, some of it was we want to get away from nuclear because we just saw what happened in Japan, and now everybody's nervous, so we're going to do a little populist pandering, if you will, but it wasn't a well-thought-out strategy. Yeah, and it's, it's always risky. And so, for example, here, we've got, um, we talked about this, um, you know, you, this is really uh, a, a very sexy uh, thing here where the Renewable Energy Country Attractiveness Index, wow. Um, say that. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, but interestingly enough, okay, moving to the point here, the, the U.S. Is, is actually ranked first in that area. And then they are putting a little bit, a, lot, a little bit, a lot behind it with the uh, 20, you know, 2022 um, Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA. I mean, there's a lot of discussion about that. And inevitably, there will be wasted money. And the concern that we, you and I always express is uh, things don't go well when there's centralized planning mm-hmm. and when you know typically the market isn't picking the winners and and who's and the losers. So we we're, we are going to experience that. But but on a positive note, okay, on a positive note, there's a lot going on in the value chain. So the core renewables, we, you know, we talk about solar, we, we talk about wind. That those that's that, that's the core. But there's a lot of knock-on expanding technologies that, that are, are, are now being driven all through the value chain. So, for example, through geothermal, through the microgrids, and other alternative fuels. So, and we're, we're building a whole technology overlay into our infrastructure so that we can communicate with the data, we can monitor what we're doing, and what we said earlier, optimize even the weather forecasting and our, our systems, our, our load allocation. Dare I use the term smart grid, which actually is a smart thing to do. You know, when you can do that, 
you allocate the uh, the energy levels of resources across a much smarter way. Years ago, uh, back in the early O's, mid O's, I think it was, I was involved with this massive exercise we were doing is bad guys are going to shut down the grid system in uh, Southern California, which actually was a bit of an education because I had to get with uh, all the utilities out here and look at how the grid was wired together. And, and that was fascinating, not just from a regional perspective, but from a national perspective. But with that, you realize there's so much room for improvement in terms of how we're doing that. And that's happening right now. But one thing I would like to mention is, you know, you, you mentioned lithium. The price of lithium, you know, you and I were looking at this during the right. during COVID 20, 2020, 2021. And we were, the reason we were looking at it was because we knew lithium was going to, uh, when we came out of uh, the pandemic, lithium was going to bounce up in price. Well, it's doubled. And, and there's a, there are limited supplies of lithium around the world. But with that said, because of that problem with resourcing and, of course, the problem with cobalt uh, isn't everywhere. If you go to the, you know, the DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo, they send little children in caves uh, to mine. And sometimes they don't come out because of the conditions. And it's basically it's almost, you know, some of the most horrible child labor situations. So. There's, there's other stuff that, that can tend to usurp it, like sodium, sodium rechargeable batteries. That's a big issue right now. And there's other technologies that are, that are kind of having this uh, rapid improvement effect that, it, that, that basically hits that, that investment that's already in place. Well, that's, that's a, you're right. It's a double-edged sword. So there are unintended consequences. This is probably a really good time to talk about that based on, uh, on this segue. Uh, you know, for sure. Like the, the price of lithium has, as we referenced before, where it's a 42x uh, demand to meet it over the next two decades. Is since 2020 has has uh, increased over 100 percent. So, what are the alter- alternatives going to be? It's hard to say. I mean, you mentioned Democratic Republic of Congo, the slave labor. I mean, that's horrible. The contamination in, in Argentina from from brine uh, operations. Chinese hard rock lithium mining. It's all of these knock-ons. And now we've got the, uh, This is. I'll throw this back to you later, Thacker Pass in Nevada. Um, we don't know how that's going to work, but we've now got, it's, 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 it's uh, coalesced now with indigenous right issues. And so now we've got a whole political culture on top of the reality requirement that we need um, for the energy. So now it's, it's getting very political and um, very complicated and it's, it's going to have to be uh, managed. I'll give that back to you, and then I want to come back and talk a little bit about, of course, the financial impacts and the investment banking and what we can expect in terms of vertical integration. Well, you know, you, you mentioned Thacker Pass with the Native American claims uh, or Native American uh, cultural um, issues that are up there. That's one of the problems that, that the whole renewable energy is running into right now is the impact on the environment. And let me go down to the Altiplano in South America. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just the contaminated water that comes out of the process of, of processing the brine, but the fact that there's less water up there. It's not what you call it a particularly, uh, uh, it's not a wetland area. Let's just say that, all right? It's, 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 a, it's kind of a desert, you know, high altitude desert area. But with climate change, the uh, the glaciers are melting. There's less melt water that's coming out. Peru, which is not altiplanable right next to it, has dropped uh, 50% of its melt water from the glaciers. This is having an impact on the populations that are there. And then they have this brine extraction system based on evaporation, which is very water intensive. And it just doesn't seem to work very well. And then, and then so what you're running into are indigenous groups 
that are saying, hey, look, you're wiping out our, our natural resources. You're wiping out, in the case of Thacker Pass in Nevada, our, our cultural identity. And then you have, an, of all things, environmentalists who've been for, for the longest time talking about renewables. Now they're going, whoa, 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 not so fast, not so fast, because you're going to cause harm to the environment if you mine here or you set up solar collectors here or whatever you do, or, or wind machines hitting birds or whatever. Um, that is causing an issue, and it's changing the math, which goes to what do you invest in? And, and there's a political risk factor that goes to that investment. Yeah, for sure. So th- th- that's yeah, everything we talk about is, in terms of weighing the scenarios. It's always about creating balance and, and, and making sure there's off ramps. Well, the, the situation with this is it's so capital intensive, though. Once we go down a plan, I mean, wh- you know, whether it's lithium, whether it's battery recycling, whatever the case may be, how do you substitute? You know, once that once that investment is made and those uh, supply channels are established, and this goes back to the integ- the integration here, the vertical integration. Once that system is set up, that's why we have to be very careful uh, at at the get go, and again to the centralized decision making. Once it's set up, there's often you no know, no way out. Like we call it the lobster trap: easy in, no way out. So um, that that's where, what we're really looking at. But there are again positives here. So you know, to your point, you were talking about the the um, absorbed the the damage to the environment. You know, Berkshire Hathaway, a company called BHE mm-hmm. uh, Renewables, is, is uh, leading the case in terms of a, a different absorption processes. So, there's the point we're making here uh, is that there's careful consideration at the front end concerning the technologies before the infrastructure investment is made, and and that's what we're trying to do. By the way, I was going to mention Berkshire Hathaway. It was interesting when we were looking, uh, you and I were looking more more down south, shall we say. We were looking at what was happening with Hard Rock, uh, Spujamine mining in Mexico, not too far south of the border. And then we're also looking at the Altiplano region, specifically what was hap- could happen in Bolivia, which is the mother load of, of uh, lithium from brine. Uh, interesting, Berkshire Hathaway was completely focused on what's now called Lithium Valley, which is you know, down at the uh, Salton Sea area. And and frankly, at the time, I, I have to tell you, I was a little circumspect on that. I was saying, I don't know if they're, that the quality of what they're going to get out is good. But I got to hand it to Berkshire Hathaway, you know, the Oracle from Omaha, that they thought this through and they were looking at the political dynamics. And frankly, they were, they were spot on. You know, Bolivia went south shall we say <laughs> and uh and and you know and mexico kept talking about nationalizing his lithium industry i'm like he's making you know there's some pretty smart investment strategy here and and of course that is working out very well with what's going on in the salton sea area yeah so you're talking about the company controlled thermal and bhe renewables mm-hmm. so everybody keep your eye on those two we're not recommending them that there's no advocation for any particular company here these are just uh possibly leading indicators technology wise the Lithium Valley is going to be very big in, in California. Um, you know, I, I think that there won't be perfect for sure. Nothing is in, in the state, but it's going to be very big and it's something we need to keep our eye on. In terms of the financial impacts, what's really interesting here is the M&A has grown within the last five years by over 20%. That's, that's driving, of course, to our, you know, our regionalism, the vertical integration that, that you hear us talk about. But it's not just solar. It's also manufacturing, transportation, services. Uh, infrastructure, uh, even we all think of charging stations, but obviously just even the, the catapulting of the of, of the data activities and the grids to monitor and and manage this this information. So we'll see. And I, again, 
Lithium Valley is going to be a, a key driver uh, on this. You know, what's interesting is we all focus on cars and trucks, right, right, right. you know, and of course, Tesla has its heavy duty trucks that are all electrified. But one of the things that, 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 that the, the focus on renewables and of course the focus on electricity has done is put renewed focus on trains. And I was amazed with how many trains, train systems like throughout Europe are electrified. It's like over 90% or something like that. And here in the US, the electrification of trains is taking off gangbusters. It's something that's been happening. I haven't really paid that close of attention to it until recently as to how much electrification of train systems is going on. But we we have a a system uh, that that may open up in Southern California between uh, Las Vegas and, and Los Angeles which uh, is big. I'm not going to talk about the, tr- the high-speed rail in California that the state's been doing because I don't know where that money went, although there are rumors that some of that money may have ended up in Las Vegas, but not for all the reasons we think <laughs> of. And, uh, but, uh, but, but with that, uh, it really is changing the math in terms of transportation, how we move people, how we move goods, you know, the supply chain across the board. And, and then I w- if I want to back off a little bit more to maritime, there are some things being done which don't sound particularly exciting, but there are some things we're blending wind with fuel or we're looking at hydrogen or some other things that is dramatically changing how we move things around the world from an energy perspective. So, so to that point, I think we're going to talk about this in another uh, podcast. There's $69 billion that's carved out for the, the Washington-Boston corridor for the electrification. Mm-hmm. So, so that, I think we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit later. Let's talk about hydrogen very quickly. Hydrogen, the tax credits, accessibility that's being created. Now, look at the, look at migration is going not just to the renewables and so forth, but to cheaper demand for green steel, green glass, who would have thought of that, or green cement. So it's going to permeate all elements. And one point that we really want to close on here is that with all of this information flow the bio, and the reporting that these government incentives are going to require, ESG, environmental social governance metrics. You know, we're, we're, we're experts at that as well. But the point is you really have to now have the data and the, to support your policies and to justify the reporting that that's associated with all of this renewable energy reporting and government support. You know, I, I just wanted to mention real quick, you mentioned hydrogen. Japan never abandoned this pursuit of hydrogen. They have always been focused on making that part of it. Now the rest of the world is kind of catching up where Japan was. I want to point out something with Japan. Even though they had the lost decade of the 90s, they've always been focused on planning. They adopted Deming's uh, approach to uh, basically a high-quality pro- or production when the U.S. did not. And, of course, they, they leapfrogged the U.S. in that regard. But they did planning. They look at that. And now, of course, if you just looked at uh, recent headlines, They've got a battery, Toyota's got a battery out, 750 miles uh, uh, for cars, and it takes 10 minutes to recharge. Amazing, some of the things happening there. There was a great recent article showcasing the reemergence of uh, Japan. Japan is now reemerging after you say the lost decade. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, as, as the new investment darling, mm-hmm. um, basically because of their forward line of sight and their measuring of technology before uh, you know overwhelmingly embracing it, and then going down the right path, which we always do in terms of pushing scenarios. Well, Mark, we have covered a tremendous amount of material on this. Uh, I got to tell you, I found this electrifying uh, in every way. I think we are staying current, if you will, uh, but we have to switch and talk about other things. Thanks. It's a great conversation, and we'll be coming back to this in the future. Okay. Talk soon. Strat. 
Strategic Risk Assessment Talk with Hal Kempfer and Mark Mansfield. Podcast weekly from the Mutual Broadcasting System.